Slice and Dice Podcast number 31. 31. 31. 31. It's been a while. It's been a, it's been a month. Yeah, we kind of knew we'd be getting it. It, it. Much like the the end of the summer movie season, we knew that we were hitting kind of a lull. Yep. Nothing going on, really. No. So it's, it's a dead zone. It's, I think it's almost worse than January. Yeah, I would agree. At least in January, you can start talking about the uh, upcoming Oscars. Mm-hmm. And, and we're, we get some of those. Certainly the regular box <laughs> office is pretty shitty. But yeah. uh, this time of year, they're not even giving any real movie news. There ain't a hell of a lot going on. Uh, yeah, nothing really really relevant. But but Oscar season is upon us from a you know theatrical perspective. We're going to start getting those uh, those uh, flicks coming hot and heavy here pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Which you know, always a good time of the year for me. I'm, I'm always into this because this is this is time for some quality cinema. <clears throat> and it's funny you say that because while we were at, when we wandered out of the theater from the flick we just watched, there was a three oldish people going in. There was a, there was a dude and two ladies, and one of the ladies was talking to her, her just talking a mile a minute about how there's a movie, and I think it's the Steve Coogan one she must have been referring to. I knew he had a new one. Out. I can't it's think basically of two dudes like traveling around yeah. and. Um, and she basically said it was just a brilliant foot film. She liked my dinner with Andre, but yeah. moving to different settings, which is think what you will about She's my dinner our with people. Andre. But I, I do pre- <laughs> I'm now I'm at that point where I get that. I right. get the whole idea of quality cinema, yeah. which isn't to say that I dish popcorn cinema. I love no, popcorn no, cinema. love popcorn cinema. Totally different feel though. When right. you go, when you just watch a damn good movie. Like Boyhood, where it, you could say there was really no plot, but what a great story. Sure. And it, what just what a great film. That's totally different than what I felt getting out of X-Men. Right. Yeah, a different, it's a whole different different animal. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will talk about some of our most anticipated uh, films. Yes. Uh, here shortly, but... Uh, you have some uh, some stuff to bring up. Well, let me first say that this is the first bit of news that you, news uh, station program, what have you, in the past two weeks that will not be discussing the NFL or people being right. abused. Out. But we are going to discuss somebody that I don't believe we've ever discussed: Beyonce. So you I... probably have heard that Beyonce has gotten herself into another bit of a lip sync scandal. In Paris, she was performing, and she bent down to talk to a fan, and strangely, her vocal track never stopped. <laughs> but what's interesting is, and, and this is not opinions about whether or not people are lip-syncing, because I'm assuming that they are. But what's interesting is, the first thing I heard this on was a, a show that had older, our age people, as well as younger, 20-somethings that run the show... The older people were fucking pissed. The younger people are like, no, you don't go to a Beyonce show for music. You go for the dancing. So I want your opinion of this. If you went to a Beyonce show, if you threw down 150 bucks, would you be pissed that she cares more about the dancing than the singing? I guess my answer to that would be what... What it is about her that I'm into. 
Um, you know, it, it's hard to really to really say that because I'm not a fan of Beyonce. Right, and I do acknowledge that it's tough um, if you don't follow her music. I, I don't think. I mean, I I know. I know of her music. I've, I've heard some of her top forty stuff just by default, um, and, and I know that dancing's a big part of that shtick. Um, so if if I mean if you're a fan of her and you know that going in, you um, get what you get. You get what you get. To Whatever. be honest, I, in my mind though, there's still something a little disingenuous, and, and it's not. I'm assuming I'm going to get lip-syncing. Hell, I do love Pink. And I love her music. But I know if I go to her show, there's a good chance some of what I'm seeing is lip-sync. Because a lot of the act that you get, I don't know how you can physically do it. And still, and not break stride in your music. Um, But for me, though, it still is kind of disingenuous in that when it came down to it, you are, quote-unquote, a recording artist first. Yeah. And recording artist means it's supposed to be about your voice, the music. And if you're spending more time on the, the, the act itself, yeah. that to me becomes troublesome. And I think a great example of this is the, the, the story uh, Kilroy Was Here album for Sticks, And how basically what blew that band up was Dennis DeYoung wanting to put them on tour doing... A theater show of the full acting out the Kilroy was here album, and Tommy Shaw. It sounds rest- like good to me. I would. I I'm down, but Tommy Shaw and the rest of the band are like, but we're rock musicians. Yeah. And when we play Texas in 1984, they're not going to want some dude walking out in a robot costume singing do saying "Domo Arigato, Mister Roboto." They're here to see us. Make music, and, and that's a fair. That's fair as well. I, I think I can see both sides of their their opinions there. What I think it, it it all means to me in the end is, I think that music is different now, and I, I think that to a certain extent, I, I don't know what word I'm looking for. Not display. It's a bigger word than that, but. Uh, the, the, the showbiz piece, I think, is bigger than making music itself now. So, it, you take a Beyonce, she's not going to play 150 tour dates. She's not Hailstorm, who's going to play every night for two weeks straight. Right. She's going to pop in, do 29 shows <clears throat> on her tour. She, she also doesn't have to, because you're talking about Hailstorm, who's getting 20 bucks a ticket right. for a 1,000-seat for a, a venue. Right. Beyonce is getting... A hundred bucks a ticket for a freaking Gillette Stadium. And, and that hundred bucks <laughs> is probably the furthest away sure. from where you can possibly get. Sure. She's making as much off of ten shows as Hailstorm's making in a year. Right. <clears throat> and and so for that reason, maybe... I, I think people going into her shows to support the idea that it's okay, maybe view it differently. That they say, I can hear her music on an album if I want, but I want to see the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it just it depends on on the fan base. You know, I I can see old people going into that, and if they're not like fans, and they're just sort of there, and then they're taken aback by that, 
I, I, you know, I think you probably should just know that straight up front. I don't think Beyonce is is one of these talentless people that you have out there. Like, like Britney Spears is all about the act. She can't oh God, sing. Yeah. No, she can't. Without the without auto, freaking Katy Perry can't sing. No, it's all auto tuned bullshit, and it's all about the spectacle going on around them. That sort of. I don't know, maybe to some degree distracts you from the fact that there really isn't a whole lot of singing talent mm-hmm. up there. And as far as musicality, I mean, there's nothing, you know, there's no musicianship involved here. It's all just electronica and, and beats and, and shit like that. It's just not something I'm into. Uh, I, I wouldn't go to those shows, so it's hard for me to say that it, would it piss me off if I went to that and, and found out that she was, you know, sort of mailing it in or lip syncing it. Hey, whatever, I, I wouldn't be going to those shows to begin with. You know, if I went to, if I went to a hailstorm show and found out they were lip syncing, yeah, I'd, be, I'd pissed. be pissed. Because for them, it, the difference is for them. There's no doubt in my mind. It is about the music. Absolutely. And and, and maybe that's the disconnect. That's the struggle I have. Is just. By saying that means to me for Beyonce, it isn't so much about the bill, about the music. Right. You captured the word I was looking for. It's more about the spectacle. Yeah. And it, if that's what you're into, and maybe kids, these kids nowadays, oh, yeah. maybe well, that's, that's what true. they're looking for. It may be for them, they're yeah. looking for the spectacle because in their mind, now that... It, it's not the same as when we open up an album and put the as you know now because you again because you've got your vinyl. There's nothing like dropping the album on there and hearing the crackles and everything else. To in the digital world where they're just downloading music left and right, I don't know if the musicianship is part of the conversation anymore. I think because they'll say, "Well, I can get that for free," right. but the spectacle, on the other hand, that's something else entirely. Sure. So. There you go. All right. So, everyone in the world knows that we're going to be killing off... Well, we. Marvel's going to be killing off Wolverine. Big deal. I know. No, they're not. Happens all the time. Right. But, the rumors that, much like Thor is being replaced by a woman, Wolverine is going to be replaced by Laura Kinney, otherwise known as Clone X-23. No, no fucking clue who Clone X-23 is. Is there... Is this, does this feel a little forced to try to, to get comics out of just being a male thing? Is this, is this quote unquote add a character or whatever, adding, putting females in, in the male places? Is this just a big ploy or is it a good thing? Um, I think that maybe there's a little bit of both there. Do I think, do I think the timing is suspect um, you know, sort of aligning with this this push of you know th- there needs to be more women in this and more women in, in in major roles in Hollywood and directing films and stuff like that. I agree that that needs to happen. I don't agree that we are that we should just be pushing these buttons just because that needs to happen. Right. Um, it, it, I've always made that argument about about uh, African Americans as head coaches in the NFL. I want the guy who's the best fit for my team. Mm-hmm. I don't care if he's black, white, purple, whatever. Right. It, 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 just because you hire a, a, a white male doesn't make you racist or anything like that. 
It just means that that, that was the right guy when, when for the right job. you sat down and you talked to them, you felt that that person said the things that you wanted to hear that would, when they directed your team, they put it in the direction you wanted. A big part of the problem I have with the whole equality and diversity and stuff, and this this falls more along the lines of the of the, the minority, not not women and men, but when um, when they say, well, there's not enough African American coaches in the NFL, and I know I'm going completely off the topic. No, actually, you're really um, not. This is it, kind of what I want to discuss. It, it, what? What makes you happy? What what percentage of women? When Star Wars was announced for the casting, only two women in Star Wars out of thirteen. Well, what number is acceptable to you? Is it a fifty-fifty split? Is it a sixty-forty split? Is it more women than men? What are you complaining about? And if you set such a mandate and it's met, are you just going to complain that they only did it to to listen to kowtow to you? Well, exactly. And what 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 have you proven by doing so? Exactly, and and with the NFL coaches, I'm like, African Americans make up what percentage of the population? Fifteen? Yeah, fifteen twenty percent. I, I don't even know if it's that high. So why would you be looking at a fifty fifty split when percentages aren't even that in real life? You know, and it shouldn't have to be about percentages. It shouldn't have to be about about uh, quotas and numbers and stuff like that. I don't want an African American coach that was put into a position strictly because he's African American. Right. I want him because he's a damn good football coach mm-hmm. and he's going to win games. And if he happens to be American, African American, I don't care. And I'd say <laughs> that also for a, a female football coach. If she was the right person with the X's and O's and knew right. how to play, right. Fine. Right. All I care is it's the right person for the job. Correct. And, and to me, that's kind of the same way I, I view the pop culture world, too, now. Is, look, it, it, you, you shouldn't feel like you have to go and change characters to meet some quota. Right. There's plenty out there. Maybe what you need to do is promote those that are there, if that's what you're trying to do. You don't need to take things that are already beloved by some people and flip them. Just say, well, see, there you go. Well, and that and that's just it. I mean, that's and that's where the Thor thing, and I guess now the Wolverine thing. I, I knew, I heard that they were going to kill, quote unquote, yeah, Wolverine. And they're, they're nobody dies. Yes, a Wolverine. Yeah, nobody dies in freaking comics, whatever. Um, and and then to switch those characters out and and make a female version stuff like that. Here's an idea. Why don't you get creative and actually create a new character that's female? Mm-hmm. Rather than taking some rehashed character and just swapping the sexes. And to, I would even go as far as saying, and, and if the thought is that thus far, the problem with the female characters is that they're over-sexualized. And I know that's what a lot of it comes down to. And, and his great example is, I saw that today, oh well not, today I saw that Supergirl, the TV show, has now been greenlit. I saw that. And the poster I see is one of the over-sexualized ones. You go, whatever, that's that's what a lot of comic book nerd guys want to see. Mm-hmm. But if your argument is that it, what there is out there for females is still shown wrong, then make it right. right. Go ahead and, and instead of bitching about it, 
There's pen, there's paper, there's ink. Do make something. Right. Make something that we want to see. Yep. Make something that people will buy into. Don't just complain about it and say, now you do it. Right. Take it upon yourself to fix it. Right. And that's the problem is people would rather bitch and moan and groan instead of trying to do something positive like, oh, not saying you're a victim, doing something about it. Right. Create your own comic. Because at the end of the day, it's a fucking comic book. Right. Character. It's a fucking Star Wars It movie. means nothing. Right. And in the, and the scope of things, if, if you're hanging your hat on a comic book character as being a symbol of equal rights, whoa, okay, you're, you're, you're in the wrong area here. Well, it's like all these, all these losers that were on the internet about how, how it was unfair, how, how Hollywood has gone back to the Stone Age because only two women were announced for Star Wars and there was 11, 10 or 11 men. I'm like, so basically you're just putting numbers on... On these people. Mm-hmm. So instead of, of typing up something and and championing Daisy Ridley and what she could bring to this series, you you've just made you just you've pretty much just said she's just female number one. Right. Well, that's, awesome. that's a great point. So here she is. She reads the tabloids. Oh, she jumps on the internet the next day to see what people think about her hire. And instead of getting compliments, which I'm sure she got some, sure. but the cries from the other side, though, seemed way louder in that. Of course they do. Oh, there she is. She's the token. Yeah. She's clearly been put on as being girlfriend, is what it is. Right. She'll be the one who, fall, who, who falls head over heels in love with whatever male-dominated yeah. lead, you know. And, and let's be honest, other than... Realistically, the Han Solo, uh, well, for the first movies, well, the the Han Solo Princess Leia thing was really the only real relationship going on, and the, the only thing with the set with the prequels is everybody knew in order for Vader to be born, he's got to be born. Right. So you have to have it. It's not like romance has been a massive part of the Star Wars mythos here. Right. It really hasn't been an overwhelming theme. No. So I don't know why they even went off on that. That to me was just such... That was somebody who apparently their tampon had been lit and they yeah, ran with it. And it was exactly obnoxious. That. I want to know when C-3PO is going to come out of the closet. Well, I... How, what, what would a protocol droid do at that point? I, I don't know. He, I mean, he is very gold. Nice <laughs> and shiny. He is. He is. He takes very good care of himself, as a lot of the, that group do. Yeah. No <laughs> well, except for the, the fat guy we saw on the movie screen today. Oh, he was yeah. part of that video. Right. Um, yeah. Well, I, 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 yeah, C-3PO, clearly the first gay robot. Has to be. Absolutely. And I don't know, and I don't believe R2 is... Um. Is, no, yeah, no, 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 R2's the butch one if he is. Oh, yeah. yeah but I, I don't believe, I think R2, R2 I would think is more into, like, midget sex. Probably. But, like, with the little monstroids and things. Right. But, right, C-3PO, eh. Yeah, we're, we're derailing fast. We right? are. <laughs> we are. Let's, let's, let's rein it back in. Let's move, move on. So... In the comic book conversation, though, it sounds as if we're going to get a Suicide Squad movie. Yeah. 
I have mixed opinions on what I think a Suicide Squad film will do. There's, there's a part of me that wishes that Sinister Six hadn't been announced, and then, oh, by the way, let's do Suicide Squad. I know different film companies. I, I get that. But it, it seems to me there's a lot of cool characters you could roll out with Suicide Squad. I don't know, though, how the world is going to respond to an all-villain-based movie on, from superheroes. I think comic book nerds may cling to it. I just don't know. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I see the comic book nerds sort of latching onto this. I don't think it transcends the casual fan the way something like Guardians of the Galaxy did. No. You know, so, yeah, going into this, mostly it was just comic book fans who knew about, about Guardians of the Galaxy. But... You had a little funny talking raccoon. You had a cute little talking tree that dances around, stuff like that. So it it sort of bridges that gap to the casual person. And you have you you cast a lead that not many people talked about, but who truly came off as just a likable person. And I'd also say, let's give one to a director that not many people dealt seen before that clearly had love for the project and a damn good soundtrack, which I also think. The right soundtrack helped that movie, mm -hmm. big time. All the right songs in all the right places. Which, I think one of the problems, that another issue Suicide Squad could face is, a lot of the villains in the Suicide Squad mythos are flat out weird looking. Yeah. And I don't know how that's going to go over. It's one thing to see it in a comic book panel, but you take somebody like Manta... This is a, it's a, basically a dude in a jet black costume with this big flat uh, Mayor McCheese helmet. I, I don't know what, what, it, again, it's all just to me, just reactionary stuff mm -hmm. to try to, to try to get the money that Marvel's getting for doing what they're doing. I, I don't understand. I don't understand why uh, Fox is, is. So hell-bent to get out the uh, Sinister Six thing when all that stuff is underdeveloped. They can't even get Spider-Man right. And they're worried about the Sinister Six. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it it's a good thing and a bad thing because I know Drew Goddard's attached to that. And I like Drew Goddard a lot. But part of me is like, I don't want to see Drew Goddard get sucked into that right. world. Get him I don't think, through the mud I don't think he, I don't think he can win no. here. No, it, it, that's that's a great point. Is it, all it is a big grab to get the next big franchise? I have no faith, no faith. I, I have very little faith that Zack Snyder is going to pull off the Superman Batman I thing. I hope he does. I really do because because mm -hmm. I'd like to see that thing. I I I think I think he tried to swing for the fences with Superman, and I think he got maybe a bloop double out of it. Yeah. I don't think he hit a home run with it. And it's fun. I actually revisited that film two weeks ago, <sighs> and it felt the same way it did the first time. Yeah. In fact, at times, things that I, I, I liked didn't play off as well the second time through. Right. Um, so, so you've got uh, you, you've got Superman, who's sort of eh, probably in a better spot than he's been in a while. You've got your Batman coming off of, you know, as, as a mess as The Dark Knight Rises was, still coming off a solid trilogy of films right. there, but now you've got to start that over. A shitty Green Lantern movie, um, and I know this isn't DC, but, 
you've got the Spider-Man stuff, which have just sucked. Um, and they're, they're trying so hard. Instead of getting these things right, they're trying to just capitalize on the money that Marvel's making. Mm-hmm. And they're just throwing out shit, hoping that it sticks. And it's just shit movies. Those Spider-Man movies are fucking horrible. And there's still people that defend them. Mm-hmm. Still people go out there and just turn a blind eye to it. Like, oh, Spider-Man, oh, it's the greatest thing ever. No, they no. suck. And what? Want more. You can look at the fucking Avengers and all the stuff Marvel's doing. And, yeah, some are better than others. But I would still argue they haven't. They haven't missed The worst of any of the Avengers films is still better than what I've seen in the past two Spider-Man films. Sure. By far. I would even throw... The Hulk movies, I would probably even throw into that conversation. Those, to me, are they, but the weakest. I'm not a fan of those. But they're also pre-really getting into I this wanna, whole plan. Well, there's that, and I want to see... A Mark Ruffalo, Joss right. Whedon level Hulk, because I think Whedon's the first one who actually got Hulk right. Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree, and, and I think he realized that yes, people want to see Hulk smash. They don't want to see two hours of just Hulk smash, right? Or they don't want the emotional side of Hulk smash, which is what Ang Lee tried to give us, right? Because uh, there's only so much you can do with that, or even care about, but. Everything DC and Sony Pictures is doing is is nothing but just to try to capitalize on the cash grab, and they're not doing any justice to the actual characters, and they're not they're not bothering to to develop this universe. They're just trying to cram it down their throat and capitalize on the dollar. Mm-hmm. And that's that's all, and, and it shows. It yep. shows on the screen. So anything else? One thing. One thing. Today is a major anniversary. 30 years ago I today. I didn't get you anything. <laughs> you never do. I keep waiting, mm. but at some point. 30, 30 years, years ago, ago today. So that was uh, 94? 84. 84. Okay. Arguably one of the biggest TV shows of the 80s premiered. The Cosby Show's first episode aired September 20th, 1984. Wow. Think back to what the sitcom used to be. And I, and I would argue that at in the 80s, that was certainly the biggest lineup. Even though I've been struggling to remember a different world than come along to like two or three years later. That's after right. Lisa Bonet had yep. kind of... Yeah, Cosby was... wanted to take care of her, but her being her own free spirit was against Cosby. So he bought another show for her. And yeah. it worked. Um, but realistically, that it, it was a good show. But realistically, for the 80s, that was the TV show lineup. Sure. To be Cosby Show, Different World, was it Night Court Cheers or Cheers Night Court? I don't remember. I think Cheers was first. I think so too, 9 o'clock. And then Hill Street Blues at 10 o'clock. Mm. But th- that was really, to me, the, the last heyday of the sitcom. Was during those, and I know there are other sitcoms people point to, like Friends and stuff. But to have a block that was two hours long that you knew everybody was probably watching on any given week, that was huge. And Cosby was the one to really kick the thing off. Oh, certainly. Well, that that I'm talking about the '80s thing. Yeah, that for, '80s line for the '80s. I mean, yeah, you can 
you can dip back into the seventies with the happy days. Well, um, it, that's why I said of that era because yeah. for me, the one that's meant the most would be the seventies, late seventies with Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, Three's Company, and Taxi. Yeah, that to me was a a more meaningful lineup. I watched the fuck out of Happy Days, even when the characters started yeah. jumping ship. But for the eighties, it was all all about that Thursday night lineup, starting with the Cosby Show. Oh yeah. Later. It, even though, if you think back, the first season of The Cosby Show, it literally was just him pulling lines out of Bill Cosby himself. Yeah. The whole time. It was almost bit for bit. Yep. Because we'd all seen that hour and a half comedy special for I don't know how many times. Mm-hmm. It was probably one of the most rented videotapes in mm-hmm. its day. HBO played the fuck out of it. But I remember they even had an episode that had the whole mom sleeping in, dad serving the kids cake for breakfast because yep. he said there's eggs in it and there's... And milk, milk in it. nutritious. Right? And that was clear. That was definitely one of the first season episodes. That is great. Give us chocolate cake. <laughs> but it was great <laughs> stuff. And, and that's more what I mean. To me, it's sad now. Because we saw a trailer today for a TV show. Was it Judge Something that oh, was going to be on? So and, and, and you're you're like, I will not. Or something. And I'm like, yeah. TV show as the, the sitcom as we know it is dead. I have um, no interest. Yeah, there I mean, are some good ones. The Goldbergs is certainly fun. Well, the Goldbergs taps into what was good about those it's back then, right? I mean, I, I guess Modern Family, Parks and Rec. Those are the those are the, the sitcoms of today. Yeah. But the the biggest Modern Family's on the Parks and Rec has circled the drain for years. Yeah. Community, um, but yeah, these are ensemble things that don't really have an ongoing story. I mean, right, they're just sort of a week to week. Yep, a week to week thing. Um, I, I think I think uh, Friends is probably the last from that that of era the big sitcom. Um, I, I mean, it's hard to say that Modern Family is not a big sitcom, but Modern Family feels very modern. It doesn't feel from that era. Mm-hmm. Um, was there a point behind this? Or no, it's more just comment of the Cosby Show. This, this, I, I've kind of been digging when we do the spinoff at this point in history to kind of bring up how old we're fucking getting to. Oh, dude, don't remind me. Because I, I remember as clear as day watching the first episode of the Co- the Cosby Show. Yeah, I used and to watch it all the time. Like I say, what's killing me is I don't do not remember the show that followed up the Cosby Show at eight thirty until a before different world. a different world. It was a couple years where something else was in that slot. Um, yeah, Elf was a Monday night show. I know that. Uh, Elf felt a little. And Elf was eighty six. I know it was. Yeah, I know it was because it started the year I started college. Huh. I thought Elf was earlier than that. Mm. Um, yeah, I can't remember what what was right after the Cosby show. No. But anyway. No. 30 years ago. There you go. Right on. Take a break here and uh, come back a little what we watched. Come on, Nanny. Let's go to the movies. Let's go see the stars. <laughs> Cowboy heroes, cops and robbers, glamour and strife, bigger than life. Sitting in the darkness, what a world to see. Let's go to the movies and wait. 
I need a pulling thread. <laughs> it's interesting because I think the role um, that that woman played in the original Annie in this one, I think it's being played by Rose Byrne. Oh, is it? I think so. And I dig me some Rose Byrne. Do you dig it enough to go see Annie? Uh, I no, I'm not gonna. I'm certainly not gonna go to the theater to see him. You're not gonna. You're not gonna pay to go see Kevinjane Wallace. No, I don't have any problem with Kevinjane Wallace. It just this whole project is so unnecessary. All right, it's like hey, we've seen it. We need Black we, Annie. <laughs> and it's what? funny. I trash the movie, but I will admit I've seen The Wiz a hundred times. Well, you know, hey, but. Again, I, I'm pointing back to what we just talked about, though. It was also one of those movies that back when HBO was literally the only other bastion for TV, mm-hmm. The Wiz was on HBO all day long. Back when they wouldn't play R-rated movies until 8, so it was all G and PG fair during the day. So The Wiz and Bill Cosby himself, they played the fuck out of whenever they had them. Yeah. You could, you, if you were home, you could turn on HBO and The Wiz would be on. And you, you knew it word for it. Alright, so I saw a few things. You saw a couple things. It is. Um, I'll kick off because I think I have uh, one more than you do. I saw Begin Again. so good that I, I hate you a little bit. Really? Yeah, what's it called? I don't know. Um, Lost Stars? I think it's, it, I love it and I think it's incredible. Uh, is it, I mean, is it about, it's about me or it's not about your other boyfriend, right? I don't know if it's about you, but it's definitely for you. I'll take it. It is actually your Christmas present because I can't afford to buy you another one, so happy Christmas. This is the only Christmas present I want. This is all yeah? for Christmas. Happy oh. Christmas. Thank you very much. <laughs> I love you. I love you. <laughs> that is the Movie with Mark Ruffalo and Kira Knightley. Um, she is a uh, reluctant singer-songwriter. Doesn't really un- understand the level of talent she has. Doesn't like to be dragged up on stage. That kind of person. Ruffalo is a struggling music producer who has not found uh, a significant enough talent recently. So he's lost his job at the music production company and he's drowning his sorrows in a bar when Kira Knightley gets dragged up onto the stage. He hears her sound and they decide to make beautiful music together. Um, it could have easily slipped into some cheesy cliche rom-com at this point where where they're gonna hook up and, and find meaning in each other and save each other at the same time. It, it stops a little short of that. They, this isn't uh, spoilers. They don't hook up. This strictly is beco- becomes just a collaborative effort. They use the New York City as sort of their their muse for for making her music videos. They go to like rooftops and alleyways and very very raw city sound, using some of the ambient sounds around there to like add to it. And the music's actually pretty solid. Karen Knightley do, does the, her own singing and 
she's serviceable. Um, I thought the music was kind of was kind of cool. It was it was it definitely had like some urban folky type stuff. Um, I enjoyed this movie quite a bit. I, um, I Ruffalo was was solid in it. Um, Knightley was serviceable in it, and there was some good uh, good performances all around. I I, I would recommend it. Um, it. It's probably a good date movie, I guess, um, and, and it doesn't doesn't veer too far down that uh, cheesy romantic rom com. Thing. It stopped short of that. So. I seem to remember this movie got wide release, but they did a shitty job of promoting it. So it was one of those that appeared and disappeared almost overnight. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it got a lot. I don't think it made a lot at the box office, but uh, but it's certainly uh, certainly worth a worth a worth a look. Um, the talent, the talent's there, and the music, the music's pretty cool. Sounds pretty like solid. you're in there around three out of five ish. So. Yeah, that, that's fair. Three out of five. All right. Well, I saw Life of Crime. Nordell. We got a minor problem. Well, actually, we've got some good news and some not such good news. <sighs> I had a feeling you had some news. He's going back tomorrow. He's leaving. And now that he's out of the casino and back on the wagon, he's in a pretty good place, all things considered. That's the not so good news. He wants to get back and make an appearance, see his wife, call off the divorce. But he wants me to come back to Detroit with him. I just reminded him that I'm the only person he has to talk to about this, you know. Sympathetic listener. So this is the good news. Well, the bad isn't exactly bad, and the good isn't exactly sensational. But what it does do is it gets things back to normal. Got little Mickey back with hubby, assuming she's alive. Oh, which reminds me, you should really call your friend. It actually gives you time to set this up and do it right. I mean, you're a hunk, but you are a piss-poor extortionist, if you don't mind me saying. Let's be honest. This could have been set up a whole lot better. Which is... Uh, Which I haven't even heard of this one. You haven't? It, it's... Uh, I want to say the director's name, like, Daniel Schechter. Uh, something... Who's yeah, Daniel it? Schechter. Uh, he does only little films. This movie's right full of people. It, it, but it's basically ruthless people redone now. Jennifer Aniston is a... Oh. Married to Tim Robbins. They're as rich as the day is long. Um... She is totally dominated by him. He's a total dickhead. Clearly has a woman on the side played by Isla Fisher. Um, so, so the internet crowd's already hating this. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and she's basically his, his quote-unquote trophy wife, as he acknowledged it early on. Um, and basically these two small-time crooks played by Mo Steff and John Hawks. Who I like John Hawks anyway, yeah. um, decide to abduct her and hold her for ransom. Which one, Aniston or uh, Aniston? Okay. And as they uh, as they start looking into it, they also realize that Tim Robbins also has a girlfriend on the side. So they've got to work this into their whole plan too. They abduct her, only to find out that Tim Robbins really doesn't want her back that badly. What they didn't realize is he was literally having her served with divorce papers that same day. Ah, they solved. Right. They just beat <laughs> the divorce papers appearing. Um, it, it's it's a decent movie. Uh, you can tell that there's people trying really hard in this movie. The problem is it's really thin on the comedy for a movie that's supposed to be a comedy. And, and you keep thinking as you're watching it, and I know you'll remember Ruthless People. 
the, the Danny DeVito. Yeah, yeah, Bette no, Miller. Bette Miller. As you're watching, it's been years. But you'll keep as you watch the shows go. Oh, that's a good movie. Ruthless people did this better. Yeah, because Danny DeVito was way more of a douchebag than Tim Robbins is. Tim Robbins, I got to keep myself set back because he's a good actor. I just fucking hate him. Right. I absolutely hate all these all these actors who feel their political stances should mean something to me. Right. And so for that reason, whatever it seemed like, he's a dickhead. And in this, he's a dickhead who apparently has an affair. That really is the worst of it. He, he's a bit of a drunk, but Aniston's worked his hey, way around. What's that? Hey, who isn't? Well, I know. As we're saying, knocking back beers. But the fact of the matter is, though, he never hits the level of Danny DeVito, so you don't really care. Um, one of the funnier performances in it is Will Forte plays the next-door neighbor slash rich buddy slash really wants to get with Jennifer Aniston guy. And he keeps being thrown into these shitty circumstances throughout the movie because he's doing all he can to get with this chick because he knows that she's not getting the loving from the husband. Um, I can recommend the movie slightly. It's, it's not awful. But don't do the $10 rental for VOD. It's not that good. Again, if you want to pay, if you really want to pay money to see this, go see Ruthless People if you haven't. This is two out of five. Huh. All right. I saw a comedy as well. I saw They Came Together. Joel Molly, how'd you two meet? Oh, boy. Well, that's a long story. Yeah. Oh, we've got time. Waiter. More wine? Well, it's kind of a corny, romantic comedy kind of story. <laughs> that's, that's true. Yeah. That is true. Really? How so? Well, Joel's kind of a typical romantic comedy leading man, you know? He's handsome, but in a non-threatening way. Yeah, I can see that. Vaguely, but not overtly Jewish. You're right. Just Jewish enough. And Molly is the kind of cute, klutzy girl that sometimes will drive you a little bit crazy, but you can't help but fall in love with her. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So we have our main characters. Not quite. There was another character that was just as important as the two of us. New York City. Ah, mm. So New York City is like another character. This is a bit of a spoof of the everyday rom-com genre with Paul Rudd and Amy Poehler. Okay. Uh, also bit parts with uh, Bill Hader, uh, Ellie Kemper, um can't remember who else is in it, but uh, um, this actually is pretty darn funny. Um, it, it does sort of play off like a very long Saturday Night Live skit, but you see so many of the cheesy rom-com cliches in this stuff, and the whole the whole title, They Came Together, is, is playing off the cliche of... These two people that, that their friends are trying to set up with each other who sort of met on their way to the party and then they open the door and go, oh, look, they came together. And that that's, it was a costume party, so they showed up at the same time. But they're arguing because they decided they don't like each other in, in within the 20 minutes that they met each other. It plays off, it, riff, it completely riffs off all of the cliches from rom-coms that you can think of, right down to the fact, the fact that they're they're telling this story while sitting in a restaurant with Bill Hader and Ellie Kemper about how they met and how they didn't like each other and stuff, which is right out of the playbook of mm-hmm. rom-coms anyway. Um, and you, and any rom-com you've ever seen, you will see it in here, although they are tongue-in-cheek sort of making fun of it. 
Um, sometimes it's right up punching you in the face. Sometimes it's some real subtle humor. And I thought they did a really good job with it. Polar and Polar and Rudd are both a riot in it. Um, that is well done all around. I, a solid three and a half out of five. Uh, if you're into a comedy and, and, and if you're a hater of rom-coms, you'll probably really appreciate this because they're really just making fun of it the whole time by doing a rom-com. <laughs> Spoofing a rom-com. Cool. So, definitely check that out. Alright. My next film I'll discuss is a... A dramedy, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it. It's called The One I Love. To it, um, but that was a little bit of a weird fight last night. I know. I don't really understand what happened, but I feel like maybe we just talk it up to like some bad pot alcohol <laughs> combo, put it behind us, and not let it ruin the trip. Agreed. Uh, it stars Mark Duplis and Elizabeth Moss, who are having severe marital issues. And it starts off with them seeing a counselor, played by Ted Danson, who basically gives them all the questioning. Are you having sex? Do you, What's your relationship like? Blah, blah. Then recommends basically they go to, uh, just go away. Take a couple nights and go away. And when they do, they apparently, the, the, the love is there. Because they, they, have a, they have a great night, buck like rabbits, and... and the problem is they get up the next morning and Elizabeth Moss asks, uh, tells Mark about it and Mark says, what are you talking about? We didn't fuck last night. We got drunk, got high and passed out. And she thinks he's fucking with her. And as what you find out really soon is for somehow, some reason, whether or not it's cloning or whatever else, there are exact doppelgangers of each of them. That are at this place. So Elizabeth Moss. Her character has an exact doppelganger. That has all of the traits. She doesn't have in real life. That he wants her to have. And so his first tell that something's wrong. Is she offers. She makes breakfast with bacon. She never makes him bacon. Boom. Her first tell that something's wrong. Is she comes in to find him painting. A a painting of her. He despises that kind of thing. But there he is doing it. And it, it, it's one of those films that really thinks it's way smarter than it is. And, and Do they explain why they're doppelgangers? No. <laughs> and that's the problem is they, they, they skirt the edge that they're in some kind of dimensional bubble. In fact, they even have it be like under the dome where you can see this line in the ground where something's there. Where one of them tries leaving and walks into it. But they don't really address it enough for you to know. And at some point, there comes the inevitable scene where the four of them are sitting down and trying to decide, well, is this having an affair or is it not? Who should we be going home with? What does this all mean? And again, it really tries to be something bigger than it is. And as you're watching it, you're going, there are people who are going to watch this and think that this is unlocking what relationship is, and then there's other people like me going, 
this is just getting confusing. So who's who? Which one's the one? Okay, that's her doppelganger who's got the weird hairdo. Yeah. It. Some people are going to love this movie, and it's not that I can't recommend it, but I can't recommend it at the level that a lot of people are raving about this thing. I'd give it a two and a half out of five. Give it a chance. It flat out may not work for you. All right. Um, the other movie I saw was uh, Startup. You mentioned risk. What risk? Stuff. Sorry. The governor wants to see you. If you comply with the regime, I'm prepared to offer you a place back on the wing and a special kind of therapy with Mr. Bowman, with whom you cooperate upstairs. But one more incident of any kind that comes to my attention, you'll be straight back down here. Just one problem. You're going to tell me what that is. I'm just saying. Say this therapy goes well, and it changes my life, and I rehabilitate. And then you lay it on for the next geezer, and it works for him and the next. And everything's sweet, yeah? Crime rates start to come down. Police got less people to nick. Court's got less people to convict. Pretty soon, you're out of a job. Um, and it's basically about this violent teenager, I guess he's about 18 years old, who gets moved from a juvenile detention facility up to the big house. And that's lingo for being starred up. It's, starred up means that, uh, that you're ahead of your normal schedule of, of being moved up to a bigger, more maximum security prison. Um, Jack O'Connell is... Uh, these guys are British, but they've got very... Some very deep Cockney accents at times in here, so somebody like yourself might struggle a little bit at times. Plus, there's just a lot of lingo, a lot of prison-level lingo added to these accents that that you wouldn't know. So, uh, but but it does get away. The, the 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 crux of the story is is this violent kid gets moved up into this maximum security prison. Um, uh, we know he's violent. Um, but he's thrown into this situation where he, he has to do all the fighting. But it turns out that his father is also an inmate there, played by uh, Ben Mendelsohn. And it, at times it feels like it wants to um, go into some sort of like, you know, estranged father getting back together with his son thing. But it, it, it stops short of that. It's really the father, the father sort of helps coach him in the prison here so he doesn't get his ass beat and things like that. He protects him a little bit, but also allows him to get into enough trouble to learn his lessons. Um, there's another, uh, Rupert, Everett, Rupert Everett, I believe, is sort of a, uh, a counselor that works at this thing, and he's trying to to bring these these guys together for these group sessions to sort of help them deal with their anger issues and stuff like that. Um, it's not bad. It's getting a lot more love from the from the pretentious crowd than than maybe I think it deserves. The performances are good. Um, some of the actions that <clears throat> the action that does take place is all within inside this prison, and it's just you know brawling type stuff. Mm -hmm. 
um, which is, is actually handled and done pretty well. Um, the prison is, feels pretty authentic outside of the fact that, that I don't know what level of security they put uh, or protections they put in place for the, the staff in this thing because for as violent and vicious as some of these criminals are, there's a lot of instances where they are given a lot of free reign on what they can have or not have in their, in their cells. Um, a lot of times they're walking around with, like, there's one guard there for this guy who could, like, probably kill you in, in, in an instance. So I thought that was a little weird. Um, not a bad flick. I need to see it again to really get a full sense of it. But the performances are good. I'm, I'm, I'm leaning towards a 2.75 out of 5. Wow, that's, even, that's a new rating. Yeah. I don't think we've ever given out a two and three quarters. Yeah, I, I can't give it a three at this point, but it's not it's not bad enough for for a two and a half at this point. Um, I, I'll see it again, and I'll, I'll probably adjust up or down accordingly. It's not bad. It's it's a good it's a good uh, authentic prison drama, I guess you will. Um, that that feels pretty authentic, but uh, yeah, I mean it's worth checking out. Uh, O'Connell's a Bit of a rising star, and um, well, Ben Mendelsohn's always solid and stuff that he does. So, um, yeah, starred up. Cool. Um, if it's worth mentioning, I did see the documentary "To Be To Be It's the uh, George Takei. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like documentary. Um, it, it's entertaining. It's fun. Well, it's George Takei. It's George Takei. I mean, it leans almost exclusively on. His fight to to uh, his gay rights fight and stuff like that, which it's yeah, fine. Um, it, it but it, it's interesting because it, it really dives back into his past when uh, when he was a kid during World War II and his family who lived in America was taken to these internment oh, camps yeah. and, um, and how they were treated back then and. About how his his parents dealt with with uh, that, and then him him trying to fight the uh, the cliches of the Asian actor in Hollywood from the day, in the days, which he fell into because he was an Asian actor in in the in the sixties and seventies and stuff, and and though you know those were there were certain roles that Asian actors played. Yeah. Um, but how he sort of transcended all that, and now how he's just this social media, you know, a lot of a lot of time spent with his uh, his life partner, and uh, they've been together for a long time. Yeah, yeah. When they officially got married uh, a couple of years ago, uh, but he also serves as sort of his uh, his road manager and things like that. So it, it was interesting. I, 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 you know, if if you're into George Takei, it's a must watch and. If you're not, it's it's interesting enough to where you know it, it's it's uh, interesting to see where he came from to where he got today. So, cool. Did you have anything else, or yeah, should we move on to uh, our most anticipated films? We move on. All right, we'll break it here. So as we alluded to earlier in the podcast, it is we are we are 
stepping headfirst into Oscar season, where the quality cinema starts to take center stage at the multiplex. And I like this time of year because I, I like me some good flicks. Mm -hmm. And we each have our top ten that we have not shared with each other. And I, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to say that probably at least half of our lists will probably cross Yeah, paths. in some way. It won't be the same order, but they will appear. And you know what? I don't really know that I ranked mine particularly. I just I have sort tried. of top ten. And, you know, so take that with a grain of salt. I'll, I'll list some stuff off, but... Um, I, I do know what my number one is. Yeah. That I'm, that I'm my, most my looking forward easy. to. Um... But uh, the other ones, you know, I, they're just ten flicks that I'm, that I'm actually looking forward to seeing. So let me let me dig that up. Um, yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Gotcha. Um, I'll, I'll get it. I'll start it out here. All right. Um, kind of interested to see. If Tim Burton can get back on track, and he's got a flip coming out with Amy Adams and Christoph Waltz called Big Eyes. I'm, I'm intrigued by this movie. It's not in my top ten, but I'm intrigued. Because um, I know the paintings. And they're yeah, fucking freaky. They are. They're freaky as shit. But I love me some Amy Adams. Mm -hmm. And... Christoph Waltz is clearly solid. Um, but I'm curious to see what Tim Burton can do with it. Um, and and this, this, for me, could be that make-or-break Tim Burton flick. Because, in a way, the paintings that, that, that these people create feel very Tim Burton-esque. But you can't really make a movie based on just these paintings you've got to have these characters and, and, and so I'm curious to see if he can pull it off well and the stories actually that she did them right and he got mm -hmm. most of the credit mm -hmm. so as their their relationship was falling apart he was one that was living the life of celebrity and all the fame yeah. when she was actually the, the, the quote unquote genius behind them correct and I'm putting genius in quotes because again I find these things freakish as fuck yeah yeah, I'm, they they bug me. But great starting cast, though. Oh yeah, Christoph Waltz and and Amy Adams, you're hitting a home run. Right Amy there. Adams has got to win an award sometime. I'm not sure this is going to be the one, but she's overdue. Big eyes. Big eyes. Well, <laughs> I, I guess metaphorically, mine belongs right after big eyes. And actually, we saw the trailer for today. I am intrigued by horns, dude. Mm. I, I, I I like Daniel Radcliffe going elsewhere with his with his acting. It looks like he is too. And the, yeah, this and talk about a cast. Throw Juno Temple in there. I love me some Juno Temple. I love me some Heather Graham. I mean, this thing was right full of people. Then you throw in the fact that it's a Juno, uh, I mean, a Joe Hill film, uh, Joe Hill work, which I've read. It, have you? I, I have not read it. I have read Horns. Um, I found it difficult to follow. Okay. From from the book. Um, the, the movie certainly looks more intriguing to me based on what I've read on the in the book. 
which I was pretty confused with after, kind of like, well, didn't re- really didn't register on, on my radar that mm-hmm. this movie was coming out. And that is the first time I've seen the trailer, and that it, it definitely looks intriguing based on the trailer. Yeah, no, I, yeah Radcliffe definitely is about as far removed from Harry Potter as which you can possibly I love. I, I, I love the fact that he's willing to take these risks. Yeah. And, and so, yeah. I, and Emma I, Watson's done the same thing. They yeah. both have found a way to to not be typecast into those those roles. And even Rupert... Rupert Grint. Grint. I haven't so, seen that dude in anything. Well, supposedly he does little underground cinema stuff that's very that's just UK. That with so little it doesn't get released over here, but a lot of like dirt gritty mob drama kind of stuff. Which again is great because that, that but that also goes along it, it's funny, if you wanted to say which one does what Ron Weasley, that's the kind of movie that he would spin off and do. Right. It's just something about the way his character was. But, yeah, I, I'm intrigued by Horns. Today was the first time I'd seen the trailer yeah. myself. And, yeah, I that just sold me that much more. I can't wait to see this movie. Cool. And we have an interesting, maybe horror take for October. What do you know? Is it coming in October? To my knowledge, it's October 3rd. Okay. The same as Gone Girl. Yeah, to my knowledge, same weekend. I could be wrong. Excellent. Um, my other one here, I'm, I'm fairly certain. My number nine, fairly certain, uh, is a crossover. Um, and it's the one I, I, uh, I would say that feels like gravity in that it's hard to tell at this point whether this is going to be a blockbuster or whether it's not. I, I, I it doesn't feel like a blockbuster, but it could be there just based on name recognition alone. It's Interstellar. Uh, That's actually my number one. Really? It is. I just totally totally spoiled your number one. That's fine. Actually, you spoiled your number one I by did. telling me it was your number one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm intrigued. I mean, for obvious reasons. You've got Christopher Nolan behind the camera. You've got Matthew McConaughey in front of it. Yeah. Anne Hathaway is Anne Hathaway. Um... Uh, Michael Caine, um, mm-hmm. and it just has that look to it. Now, I hope that there's a good story to be told here. I don't want this to be, I don't want this to be Gravity because I want right. Gravity to be its own thing. Um, but uh, you know, I'm I'm on board with anything McConaughey wants to do at this mm-hmm. point. And the trailer just looks so fucking gorgeous, dude. It really looks like a beautiful film. As long film. as we're not getting fooled by a trailer. Well, and I would agree. I, there, there's always that chance. In this case, though, I would say Nolan has done a good job looks-wise with his film. Um, we can say what we want, whether or not we thought some of the things he put in Dark Knight Rises worked, but we'll, uh, it still looked okay. We'll see if Mackenzie Foy is the next great child actor. She, you know, came out of the Twilight franchise, mm-hmm. so we'll see what happens there. Um, but yeah, I know it, it looks based on the trailer. If a trailer is going to get you worked up for something, this trailer should do it. Of course, Man of Steel also, right? Yeah, you just <laughs> was one of the best trailers I've ever seen, and that was like, uh. mm-hmm. so all right. Well, not the winds out of your sails. What's yeah, number nine no, for you? Fine. What's that? So, so well, not the winds out of your sails. What's number nine for you? One that I've actually argued against, but the more I read about it, the more intrigued I am. Annie. 
and I found myself thinking it'd be fun to do a list of the top five films we least and that we we least want to see, and Annie would be on my list. Yeah, there's an Adam Sandler one coming out. Yeah, that would be on my list. Birdman. Birdman is my number nine, and it, it's the trailer isn't doing much for me. What is doing a lot for me is the casting. Yeah. Michael Keaton. I, I, I fucking love him. Ed Norton Jr., I fucking love him. And it, it, everything I read is... You're into the Ed Norton Jr.? Because I, I, I do like bag. Ed Norton. I, you know, I, I know he's, he's, good, a, douche he's just a douchebag. But for some reason, acting-wise, I just like him a lot. And this just looks so freaking weird. To me, this looks weird. You're a guy who played a superhero, right? That, that just... Trying to, yeah. Recapture that? Yeah, which is intriguing considered realistically, we're talking the guy who really gave us Batman on the big screen. Yeah. And going into this role, good for him getting some early buzz for the Oscars, but I think that's also as much about the director than anything else. Well, Alejandro... Aja, or whatever, yeah, I can't think of the word. But yeah, Birdman is mine. Birdman is on my list at number three. So you did not ruin my number one. Okay. Um, but yes, I am. I am definitely looking forward to that. Um, my number. What do we have? Eight. Yep. Um, number eight for me is uh, decidedly the the blockbuster that is on my list, and it's the Hunger Games: Mockingjay Part One. All right. And a lot of that is is buoyed by the fact that they've done such a good job with the first two that I have to. I feel confident with the same director as Catching Fire on board here. I mean, Jennifer Lawrence, you can't can't go wrong there. No, she's done a great job. And now that the first trailer has, the first big trailer has released for it, um, and it, it looks it looks like it's uh, right on target. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm on board with it. Um, I still kind of wish that they didn't have to chop these things into well, halves and- because it's going to be it could be a great a great watch, but it's going to be incomplete for another year. And it just feels like a cash grab. Because that's well, what it is. It's just a cash grab. I, I, they can say all they want. Say, oh, we just want to do the story right now. Uh, well, if you can take that book and you want to destroy it, then you could have made six movies out of this because there's three books. All about so, the same length, too, right? Yeah, they're all the yeah. same length. So why do you feel it necessary that you want to do the last book justice? Does that mean you didn't want to do the first two ones justice? Yeah, no, you just you just think that maybe hey, hey, we can get another we can get two billion dollar paydays off of this instead of one. Nope. That's fine, it makes sense, but call it what it is and don't insult me. And honestly, my number eight is Hunger Games for that same reason. I it would actually be higher because Catching Fire did such a great job, but they're releasing this as two parts when there's no reason to other than cash grab. Sure. And that pisses me off. It pisses me off that people are being used that way. It pisses me off that well, all the studios are doing that with the final well, book of various especially, series. Now. Especially the fact that we're talking about a franchise, a, a series of books here, that 98% of the people going to this movie have read it. They right. know how this ends. Right. You're an exception. Mm-hmm. But you are, I, I would wager guess you are very much in the minority I would totally of the people that are going into this. I completely we, agree. we know how this ends. Mm-hmm. So just tell the story. 
And you know what? If it takes you two hours and 45 minutes to three hours At to this tell point, it, people in five. Tell it. Yeah, that, that's fine. But just tell it. Don't, don't rake us across the coals for double the admission. Mm-hmm. When you know that people are going to go multiple times, you know they're going to buy the videos. And, and, you know, from a business perspective, it makes sense because people are going to go and do it anyway. Right. People are their own worst enemies when they sit and complain about this stuff. I'll probably only go see it once. And then I'll, I'll buy it and add it to my collection. Mm-hmm. That's what's going to happen. Whether you make one movie out of it or whether you make two. Well, what's movies. frustrating, though, is as a fan who intends to buy it, you have to buy one film two, in two different yeah. pieces. So yeah. you're going to have to throw down 40 bucks for Blu-ray and yeah. not 20 Right. And that pisses me off. Yeah. But yeah, that for, that's my number eight for that reason. It, it would definitely be higher. All right. Um... So number seven, um, my number seven is probably one from a non-blockbuster per, uh, perspective has gotten probably more marketing push than just about anything I've seen in, in the last few months. It the just, Judge? It seems to... <laughs> that movie's getting fucking marketing like crazy right now. What is it called? The Judge? The... The one with Duvall and uh, Downey Jr. Oh, see, I oh, you don't, I don't have cable, cable so, so I don't oh, see dude, that. every other commercial right now is the judge. But what seems to be getting a lot of press, or what has been getting a lot of press, is Gone Girl. Yep. Um, you know, uh, David Fincher. I'm always on board with Fincher's stuff. Fincher's a solid director. Um, you know, Affleck to me sort of feels. To some degree, sort of like that Matthew McConaughey thing. Um, I still prefer, I think, him as a director than I do um, an actor. But I, don't I think hate his, his acting. I think his acting is better than it used to be. I, I didn't think. I for the longest time, I always felt like Affleck was the lesser of the two when it comes to oh, acting wait. to Matt Damon, and I still think he does. But I've always sort of. I've always sort of blamed Affleck as sort of just riding the coattails of Damon, uh, Matt Damon's mm-hmm. talent. Um, but I, in the last five years, you know, certainly Affleck is, has proven himself to be one of the best young directors in Hollywood. He's just doing some great stuff. And even though this is a Fincher-directed film, it feels very Ben Affleck. Mm-hmm. Just the whole, the whole setting, the whole mood, the whole tone feels like that uh, Gone Baby Gone in the town and that type of stuff. Rosamund Pike, uh, in a, yeah, this, this, I expect, hopefully expect this is going to be a really good flick. Yeah, I can't wait to see that movie. It's it on your list? Oh, fuck yeah. It's higher on my list. Did I knock off your number two? Should have made a game about this one. Actually, like, you did. Like, <laughs> that is my number and two. sunk your battleship. So, um, yeah. And that's two weeks. Yes, it is. That's the next podcast. Um, so, my uh, number seven movie, I'm certain, is higher on your list. Whiplash. I... What's that? Probably. Yeah, well, I know the kind of movies you dig. I, I dig the... the music-based movies that are they're kind of around the world of music. And, and Miles Teller, who's definitely one of the up-and-coming actors right now, really looks like he's well cast in the, the whole role of the, of the jazz drummer. Um, this is a movie that's been getting love, what, for a good 
eight or nine months. Well, realistically, it's out of the uh, the early season, earlier in the year, the uh, the festivals. So, it, all these critics can't be wrong. It's got the right pieces in place. I'm looking forward to see if they really play out the way that they can. So yeah, for me, Whiplash is my number seven movie. I'm looking forward to this film. Um, yeah, it, it may be on my list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, there you go. Probably at number one. <laughs> um, it, yeah, part in part because of the press that it's getting, in part because of the talent behind it, oh, dude. and in part because uh, that's what I when I was in high school and stuff, I played drums. Yeah. I want to see a drumming movie, and, and this looks. Uh, Looks you have the collector's edition of Drumline, don't you? I do not. Oh, dude. No, I don't. I don't like. I don't. That's not the drums. Mar- I know marching band drum. No, I'm not marching band drum guy. No. Um. So yeah, that was that was not my number one. Um. My next one. What are we? Number seven, six. Six. Uh, the Imitation Game. Benedict Cumberbatch in a World War II drama about this brilliant mathematician who apparently cracks the Enigma code of, of Nazi, Nazi Germany, yep. Germany in World War II. Um, so I'm on board. Um, Cumberbatch is another one of those those dudes who's just uh, phenomenal of an actor. Um, and put, set him into a World War... And, and this is very likely... Going to be that movie that that is going to get some level of front runner status for the Oscar. You think? <coughs> Certainly in the conversation, um, I'm on board with anything that Cumber, the, the Cumberbatch is behind. Guy also was gay too, if I'm not mistaken. When you couldn't be, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm ninety percent certain he was that that he. he was living life as a closeted homosexual. <coughs> um, but yeah, I, that's not on my list, but it was a very close runner to make it. Yep. Alright. Um, so I can get Birdman off of my list because that was my number three. So I have... Well, I'll, And I'll take Whiplash off mine too, even though that was my number one. So I've got three movies left on my list that we have not yet discussed. Alright, well... My number six is another World War II film. Um, I do not... Well, I have two on my list. World War? World War II film. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think these are World War II films. This one is the Angeloni, Angelina Jolie-directed mm-hmm. Unbroken. I'm hearing good things about this. It's not on my list. but The um, story of Louis Zamperini, who was a prisoner of war and an Olympic medalist. Uh-huh. Uh, and for me, I love a good World War II period film. Yeah. It, that, that to me is such a, a fat World War II, Civil War, those, I'm so fascinated by I these I love two. American history. Right. So. And, and look how exciting Each man, 100 a, Nazi scalps. And I want my scalps. <laughs> no. Yeah. Not historically I want accurate. I debit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, in fact, the thing is, look how excited we were for Monuments, man, and we were let down. We were let down. Um, but everything I'm hearing on this one, it looks like she's getting it right. And she actually is not a bad director. Angelina Jolie's got a, a pretty darn good eye. Whether or not she can do this type of film, though, that's where I'm going to be interested. 
Uh, so yeah, my my number uh, six six unbroken. Not on my list, <clears throat> but I, I but definitely uh, would be an honorable mention for me. Um, As is that my number whatever now because I've pulled off. Of it. I just have three movies left. Okay. So also on my list. Uh, intrigued because I'm hearing that the performance is so good. Uh, I'm interested in Wild with uh, Reese Witherspoon. I, I can't put her on my list. I can't. I'm not. I'm not oh. a big Reese Witherspoon person, but but I have to put that aside. You also hate Tim Robbins. I know. <laughs> And um, I didn't recommend that movie either. No, no, but I have I have to put the the personal biases aside and say I'm intrigued by what I'm hearing at yeah. least um, of this. So, you know, I, I I saw the movie Tracks with me, me which is getting a ton of love right now, dude. It's getting a little more love than I think it deserves, mm-hmm. um, and it's another one I'll have to revisit to sort of to see. But um, this feels like. More like what I wanted out of tracks that I didn't get, so we'll see. I, I'm I'm curious to see see how it plays out. Sounds like there's probably a, a best actress nomination in the cards for Witherspoon here. Uh, again, again. So my uh, next movie, I'm fairly certain, is on your list. Well, yes, is, Foxcatcher is on it, my it list. It is Foxcatcher, <laughs> and it, it's. It's the what the story of the Olympic wrestler who was working with Dupont, yep. who Dupont who uh, also was a bit of a psycho, <laughs> and, and may have killed some people, including this certain wrestler. Uh, I want to see Corral in this. Dark. That's that's it. Is Channing Tatum? I'm get. I still haven't accepted that Channing Tatum is a great actor yet. Uh, like a lot of people I, I are. I think he's good, but he's not anywhere as as bad as I remember him being. But Carell, I want to see do this type of turn. Carell has. We know he can play douchebag. He can. He did it great in the way 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 back. Yeah. But he still looked Steve Carell. Yeah. This time he's wearing a shit ton, ton of makeup, but freakishly so. Yeah, he's and got the uh, Nicole Kidman in the hours look. <laughs> and, and I'm intrigued to see how this plays out. Yeah. So yeah, Foxcatcher, it's my number five. Yeah, Foxcatcher is certainly, uh, I think it was my number, uh, I want to say it was my number two, but uh, whatever. Uh, the last one on my list, um, The Theory of Everything. Uh, Eddie Redmayne playing Stephen Hawking um, in a, a Stephen Hawking biopic, and it looks like you know prior his his life prior to him developing ALS and the genius that that he was prior and how he transcended and uh, his uh, his debilitations and. You know, we get the Stephen Hawking that you know too. Dad. I was gonna say, <laughs> I'm intrigued that this yes. is on your list. Oh, really? No, it, it's it's getting uh, no, it, it, getting tremendous it reviews, um, and especially for for Redmayne. So, uh, and I like Eddie Redmayne. So, and who's the girl? I, mean, I can't remember who the girl in it is, but um, but no, I'm 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 high. It's middle. It's the middle of the list for me, like five six stuff, but. So you have another World War II one. I do, but that's not my next one. My next one actually has... You have two more? I do. 
talk fast. I really got to pee. <laughs> well, let me look into what the next one is. No. Paul Thomas Anderson's Inherent Vice. Ah, uh, yes. I, I, yes, and yes. yes, I've already trashed Reese Witherspoon, and lo and behold, here she yes. is as, my, as the number one yes. actress in this movie. But, the, again, Paul Thomas Anderson, you can say what you want about his stuff. It's going to be interesting to see him doing some other person's book, which is what this is. I mean, this was is the not, Master not based off a of book? I don't remember. I, don't, I thought that was his own work, but I may be wrong. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 again, this kind of falls in that whole period piece idea, and it's Paul Thomas Anderson. I, I, I may hate it, who like, knows, but like I'm intrigued to Anderson. see it, and I can't wait to see it. Yeah. And it's got Brolin, Jenna Malone, who I actually like a lot. So. Yep, yep, I, uh, I agree. That, that, one, that one sort of slipped past me, that might have even landed on my top ten if I thought of it, because I usually like uh, P.T. Anderson stuff. Then my number three is the other World War II movie, and this one I can't wait for. Fury, the the uh, Brad Pitt, Pitt, uh, Brad Pitt, uh, Michael Pena, and uh, uh, douchebag uh, Transformers. Uh, Wahlberg? No, other Transformers. The other three from Shia, Leboeuf, and one other dude. Basically, the true story of a true story, I think, of a uh, tank team. Yep. And basically, they're on during the European campaign again. I love a good World War II period piece, so I sure. cannot wait for Fury. No, that one also looks good. There's a lot of good shit coming out. And I want to say it's directed by David Ayers, who is the I one they're so. looking at for Suicide Squad. Right. Good so stuff. We go. We'll break here, get some freshies, uh, and come back and talk about Tusk. And apparently you're going to make room for freshies. Oh, I do. Always be sober when you do drunk. It'll teach you to keep your mouth shut. Hemingway said that. Yes, he did. And he said it to me. I don't want you to go to Canada tomorrow. It's for the podcast. It's what I do. I travel around and I interview weird or interesting people. So look out, you crazy Canucks. Wandering Wallace takes a raunchy road trip up to the Great White North. Hello. I'm an old man who has enjoyed a long and storied life at sea. And after eons of oceanic adventure... I know I do not wish to spend my remaining years alone while I have such stories to share. How far is Bifrost from here? It's about two hours from here. It's about two hours away. I hate American guys. Good evening. It's nice to meet you. Could I interest you in some tea? So what happened after the boat sank? I was alone. And then something very swift and frightening moved by me. A walrus saved your life? The walrus is far more evolved than any man I've ever known. Present company included. Thank you. You're welcome. Which? There, there. It'll be all right, Mr. Tuff. So, we saw Tuff. Let me tell you a story. Yes. Yes. Let me tell you a story. <clears throat> Tusks, Kevin Smith. I don't know that we need to really take any deep dive into our opinions of Kevin Smith here. No, well, we we don't, certainly don't need to run through his filmography. We, we've always respected Kevin Smith, and we, and we get to a certain extent why there are haters. At times, Kevin Smith has opened his mouth in ways that hasn't helped. Sure, he's fed that, he's fueled the fire a little bit. Sure, but 
he still is our people. He's our people. I, I have some level of respect for him because he's always sort of done things his own way. Yep. You know, he's he's that guy. I think a lot of people are actually jealous of him. You know, I, I don't... People get on the internet and say, like, this guy's a hack. He has no talent. He's a shitty director. Whatever. He'll tell you himself he's a shitty director. Yeah, that's, but, that's but, one of his run lines. But he's also a guy who... Writes and directs the stuff he wants to wants to see. He puts his friends in it, and you know what? Damn it! Wouldn't we all just love to do that? Oh, in a heartbeat, dude. You know, and here's a guy who did it, and honestly, and continues to do. As it. I watched the movie today, I found myself thinking, he he unlocked the code. This this is I could see us doing this. But he actually With a far less budget, right? But he <laughs> actually did something about it. Sure, and that's the difference. Now, granted, he sacrificed too. He sold. We're talking a guy who collected comics for years with a yep. whole lot of work, and that's basically how he funded Clark. O- opened up a lot of credit cards. Yep. Uh, even when he when uh, when he wanted to make this movie, Tusk, and uh, uh, apparently he he told his wife. Um, you know, I don't know how. A studio was going to buy this because it was an idea that was based off something that him and Mosier were right. just and, and riffing off of a podcast. And a she's like, cast. she's like, fuck it, put the house up. Yep. To make it, and you know, it, that's not something we can all do, but we can all do more. So we can sit back and criticize the guy, or we can find ways to make things like this happen for mm-hmm. ourselves. And sure, it's, it doesn't mean you're going to have something on that level necessarily. Certainly, the guy caught a huge break with Clerks. Yep, no doubt. Um, you know, certain ninety-nine thousand times out of ninety-nine thousand and one, that's just not going to work. But it worked for him, it worked and for the most part, except for when he he had to somehow get that studio experience under his belt, a la Cop Out. Um, and he took some heat from that, but other than that, he's done it his own way. He's, right. he's made the stuff he wants to make, and he stayed true to it. And a lot of people um, say, well, his, his bullshit toilet humor and all this kind of stuff. Sure, he's not for everybody. Neither Scorsese or right. Tarantino and But the Cohen thing is, brothers. that is Kevin Smith. If you hear him in any interview, that's yeah. Kevin Smith. Right. But, and you, great example, though, um, Guillermo del Toro. Mm-hmm. That dude can't go five words without shit or fuck coming out of his mouth. It's just him. Yeah. So, yeah, Kevin Smith is obsessed with toilet humor, whatever, but that's him. And that's one thing I do love about Kevin Smith is if you hear him, there's no doubt in my mind he's being genuine. You're getting Kevin Smith. Well, like it or not. And that's what 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 kills me about the, the internet hate for the guy. It's like, he needs to get over this stuff and take this stuff seriously. Why? Why does he have to do that? He doesn't Why need to. does Tarantino have to do something not Tarantino? Right. What? Why does he need your approval? You know what you're going to get with yeah. Kevin Smith. But you know what? Kevin Smith is the, who's the one living in Hollywood that has the mansion. Oh, and by the way, that he bought. Yeah. That he made because of him doing what he wanted to do. Right. Why should he sway from that? Sure. He's got his own vision. He's got his own feel. If you don't like it, fine. Finally, he seems to have gotten past. Because a lot of the problems he's had in the last five or six years is that he took took the haters way too seriously. He let it get to him. 
he let it bug him to the point where, yeah, he was coming out and saying things that he probably regrets saying now. And how mm-hmm. critics are bullshit and all this kind of stuff. And, and I'm not going to do this this Hollywood bullshit anymore. I'm just going to take my movie on the road and, and I'm not selling it to the, to the establishment and stuff like that. <clears throat> um, and now he seems to have gotten past that where he, he's now, it's like, fuck it. If you don't like my movie, you don't like my movie. I don't right. care. This is the movie I wanted to make mm-hmm. and how I wanted to make it. And here it is. So whatever. So, so when you look at, when you look at the fact that it's like 40 some percent on Rotten Tomatoes, when, you, when you're looking at a director like Kevin Smith, you've got to take that with a grain of salt because there are certain people who are going to go into that thing. They're just haters to begin with. Right. He, there's nothing this guy can do. The, the guy could turn out Citizen Kane, and there's still going to be people out there that are going to call bullshit because they don't like Kevin Smith. Mm-hmm. And then the opposite end of the spectrum, there are people who will, will eat his shit a mile long. No matter how bad it is. Yeah, no matter how bad right. it is. That and, wouldn't and dare worship. call him out. Or, or but, even make give a bad grade for one of so Kevin Smith's works. So, with that said, you have to go in, if you're a fan of Kevin Smith, or if you're not a fan of Kevin Smith, you go into it with an open mind mm-hmm. and and judge it for what it is. Right. Don't don't judge this off of mall rats or, mm-hmm. or something like that. This is a whole different... Whole oh, this, different this is Kevin very Smith. different Kevin Smith. So, that said, what did you think of Tusk? I enjoyed Tusk. I And I look forward to seeing it again. If I had to point it to, to have an... <laughs> after my defense of Kevin Smith, if I have a knock on Tusk, a lot of Tusk at times felt like him talking, about, basically recap, giving us the Kevin Smith podcast history. So much of Tusk were things that we have seen as part of Smodcast or HBO, which to me felt... Right what you know. Right. But it kind of, earlier on, I commented that the problem with the first season of the Cosby Show is it literally was yeah. Bill Cosby himself, yeah. and at times Tusk felt like I was—I'd I, heard this that was on HBO. You've already given me this, or I've heard this. It was on Smodcast. I've heard, but when it starts getting into the original ideas, I actually like Tusk a lot, especially Michael Park. Mm. Um, I, I'm, I'm on board with your comment. I enjoyed Tusk quite a bit. I struggle in that I'm not sure that Smith was able to decide whether he wanted to make a horror or if he wanted to make and a comedy. That Because when he's, when he is making the horror and Michael Parks and, and this, this maniacal psychopath. Who was awesome in, in this movie, in, dude. In some of the scenes with, with. Uh, with that walrus suit and stuff was downright disturbing mm-hmm. shit. Really, really. And then you cut over to spoilers, Johnny Depp. No, he was Gila Point. Gila Point. <laughs> and all of that just felt far too cartoonish right. for me. And it sort of it devalued the horror elements of the film. Yeah. 
in that whole thing. And then and then it's it's a very abrupt ending. An abrupt ending that I also can't say worked at all for me. No. I I I, I was like, no, wait, whoa, so he he's in a wildlife park? What? No. I think that whatever strain Kevin was on when he <laughs> thought that one up, he well, needs to back away from. Well, you know, it, it's interesting because, yeah, I, certainly this was constructed in some sort of weed-induced haze when he was talking to Mosier mm-hmm. on, on a podcast. Um, where wouldn't it be funny if there was a psychopathic guy who, who kidnaps this dude and turns him into a walrus? And I thought that concept, as crazy as that sounds, the the crux of how he set all that up worked quite well. Oh. And again, that's to Parks' credit. It's, it's it's in part to Smith's credit for writing it that way because mm-hmm. I've always been a fan of Smith's dialogue, and- toilet humor or not. His dialogue is spot on. But the initial interview for for prep for the podcast, as he and Justin Long's character are sitting side by side, right? I was sitting there going, I, I'm amazed that Kevin Smith is quoting some, has having parts quote some of the authors he is. Yeah, Tennyson was thrown out. Yeah. Uh, Hemingway, Hemingway was thrown out. Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner was a constant theme throughout it, and I'm going. Kevin Smith haters have to be reading these scripts, because, or I should say, should read these scripts because he is nailing classic works here yeah. in a way that's moving the story along. Mm-hmm. Which that's no easy feat. And yet, yeah, that, that point, Michael Parks was just dominating the story, um, and it worked fantastic. My, yeah, Michael Parks elevates this movie in parts a lot higher than it probably deserves to right. be. Um, and that that's that's all Parks. The scene um, he where did Michael it in Red Park, State, he did it here. When Michael Parks has him in the walrus suit, it, is, it goes to try to almost take a nap against Mister Tusk. Yeah, dude, that was just creepy as shit. Or even the first scene when uh, when Justin Long realized how fucked he is. And he starts screaming, and Michael Parks starts screaming back at him. You're going, this guy is just, he gets it. Yeah. He gets how to embody that kind of character where you're going, he's just gone. Now, to that end, Justin Long just does not no. work for me. He was I, the, uh, I, I, I've never been a Justin Long fan. I hate Justin Long. Just not a fan. No. Just, just guy does nothing for me. He does not sell this for me at all. First of all, he's a, annoying as shit mm-hmm. leading up to all of this stuff. <clears throat> and then once once you get to that dark stuff, I'm not buying well, that this is this is your, oh, I don't have a leg. I need a phone. Yeah. What? Yeah, and that's the problem. Is I wish Smith had written the character like he was sympathetic, like he was a sympathetic character. Because I, the guy was such a cock. Yeah. Earlier on in the movie, I'm going, well... Why should I care? This guy, it would be awful, but and you're just, an awful person, I just so don't think he does a good job. No, and, and not, Justin Long didn't help it because he's not shitty accent. Uh, just this, yeah, my podcasting—it's what I do. Mm-hmm. 
Ellie, dude, I'm not feeling you at all. Not feeling. I'm not feeling you as this walrus after. Now, I, I, purposefully did not read into what happens here. So I don't know going into this that he actually turns him into the walrus. Right. I, I didn't either. I, I, I was expecting it and to be tusks implanted in his mouth yeah, and, and know, not I, literally I, putting him, sewing his arms and putting him in a walrus suit. That Going going <laughs> into this, I don't even, I don't know if the guy doesn't escape at the end. I don't know, I, you know, how this ends for him. So when when he's sitting there, when Parks is sitting there doing the surgery and stuff like that, oh, they show him stitching something, yeah. but they're not showing what it is into this into this suit. I'm like, and, and then when they show this, I'm like, damn, that's fucked up. Yeah, and then they they pan up and you see that he's stitched the guy's arms, yeah, uh, upper arms to his body. So basically, he's got just like the. Yeah, the, the, flipper. uh, the uh, yeah the Whatever. flippers, but I'm trying to think of the the arm bone is a femur. A femur no, that's leg. leg. Uh, Tibia? No, that's leg two. Then fuck it. Your forearm. Your forearm. Yeah. He can move his forearms from the elbows forward, but that's it. Yes. With the understanding that then when he's in walrus costume, uh, when he's in the walrus outfit, he can at least move his arms around. Well, did, now, did you get that that was a walrus outfit, or did you get that that was? Skin that was sort of grafted. I got that it was skin that he had made a costume of skin that was then grafted around the guy. So the guy was permanently walrus, but he said that he'd already made he'd gotten a made a walrus suit that with the right alterations, like losing his legs, Mm -hmm. the guy would be able to fit it. Mm-hmm. So I got that he basically then stitched around him, including stitching it to his head. Right. What, what makes you wonder, especially based on the ending here, that like nobody can help this guy sort of out of this right. thing, you know, in the end? I, that's why I hated the ending. I, I really, I didn't buy it. And, and you know what, dude? Let's be honest. If... Dude decides to live life as Walrus Man. That place has millions of visitors coming to it. Not just two people <laughs> that come in once a year to check on him. Throw, throw him a mackerel. Well, I'm I'm sitting there and when in when Guy Lapointe has the shotgun, I, I took that to Justin Long at that point. I'm taking that to be like, yes, God, please, please shoot right. me. And that's and, the ending I was hoping. For. And, and early on, even when he was under the water, I don't why know don't why you he, drown yourself? Yeah. When, when Michael Parks was holding him under to make him swim, I'm like, I am now sucking the water in. I'm drowning myself. Because yeah. what's the alternative? Right. Living life like this, right. drowning is going to suck, but a minute from now, it will end. I could live for another five years like this, eating raw fucking fish yeah. with shit stuck. No, fuck that noise. Yeah. Um, yeah. On a horror level, this worked quite well for me. Mm. But there's just too much, and I'm not even going to say it really is so much Smith comedy, because, yeah, I mean, some of it, some of it certainly was self-referential for him, you know, there's still, there's still some cock jokes and stuff, even Justin Long with the, the big bone thing yep. there, I mean, that's stuff that just is in Smith. I didn't think it was overdone to any degree. But I thought the whole Gila Point character was a little over the top for what it we was. had going on here. 
if they'd gone understated and kept it as horror, I would argue this could have been one of the better horror movies yeah. that we've had in a few years. Yeah, because I agree. when the horror was clicking, it really fucking clicked. It was and, like Human Centipede only done well more intelligently. Yeah, I found myself literally, and you'll remember the scene where. Well, obviously, you remember the scene where he's in the wheelchair and he realizes that his phone's been left out. Yeah. And he's trying to he's trying to make the phone call. I found myself uncomfortable. And I'll give Kevin Smith credit, even though really it should go to the director of photography, for the long shots across the room that would be set up yeah. like Michael Park's character, Howard Howe, I think is the name that they yeah. use for this, could be there the whole time watching him. Yeah. Is this a setup? It was fucking scary shit, dude. Yep. Those shots were fantastic. I agree. And I, I honestly wasn't certain Kevin Smith had that kind of shot in him. And it worked great. I I, and I agree with you. The, the comedy almost was like... It was like you got punched in the face when you're being set up for something. It, it, it didn't need to be there. This would have been way better off had they stuck with pure horror. Well, you have to wonder how much of the... I mean, yeah, the idea itself about how much... How much was he able to flesh off of that idea to yeah, make a movie? So maybe he he sort of had to default back to his comedy here mm -hmm. because he didn't have anything better constructed at this point. Um, yeah, for me, the whole Gila Point character just it just takes me took me completely out of the horror element of the film. No, and the only time it worked was when he did the, the flashback to 10 years earlier when he'd met the guy. Yeah. And he knew, and again, it was because Michael Parks, yep. again, was the, the, the story he was telling you going... Well, even when uh, Haley Joel Osment and, and Genesis Rodriguez are sitting there at that, that diner talking to him, it's like, it, it's, it's, it's focusing so much on Johnny Depp in this character... That it's sort of ignoring the fact that these two friends, I'm, I'm losing faith that they're concerned. I mean, yeah, they're concerned, but it's taking them away from that focus. Mm -hmm. And and when they're involved with with Gila Point, I'm not feeling the urgency from them. Which when when you when they first found out when they woke up in the bed that morning and they f heard the voicemails and all that kind of stuff you know that that was good mm -hmm. but then when they get to Canada and then they get to Garmin and then they get to to Dap and that stuff it, it just you never, mean detective Frank Garmin Frank Garmin yes and he, and he was fine yeah. and, you know it, but you knew that's what you were going to get from Garmin and plus you knew that that was what Kevin Smith was setting up for right the horror elements and boom we're going to hit you with comedy right yeah I wish I wish he hadn't devolved into so much comedy especially with the depth because it felt all of a sudden you've got this great creepy horror thing going on and you fall into fucking Inspector Clouseau here. right I will say there was one other scene that drove me nuts, and it was the one with Jennifer uh, Jennifer Genesis Rodriguez, where they homed in on her, where basically she was admitting that she was banging Haley Joel Osment's character, but they did it indirectly. And that scene went on for like three minutes. They kept trying to set it up like there was some big, some big reveal that it was him, but they hadn't introduced any other character, so right. you knew it was him, right? There was no other character. There was no possibly surprise be. when they fucking pull that. Thing and it's out. so you're the only one that makes me. And I'm like, you've been three minutes staring at her face, hot she may be, 
but I don't know why you're doing this scene. We know it's Haley Joel Osment. We know, but none of this means anything to the plot of this story. No, no. And that just, it felt so annoyingly tacked on. Yeah. It felt like she they were trying to create some crisis for her that did nothing for the story. And it yeah. blew me away that Kevin Smith put it in there for that reason. Right. It did nothing. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, you know, and to that end, Genesis Rodriguez, Haley Joel Osment. Oh, okay. Okay. Sure. Genesis is hot. Haley is Haley. But he they really didn't do anything with their characters. Not really. Not really. Um, Realistically, I'd argue the number three character in this movie would probably be Gila Point. Sure, and I know that he's he's gonna be in the future. Yoga hosers. Yeah, Yoga yeah. Yeah, I'm interested to see if Yoga Hosers title mate with that holds on. That's that's a very odd title mm-hmm. for a movie, uh, and I want to say that that's going to sort of revolve more around the two girls. It is. It's basically the two girls in the convenience store, and they're also obsessed with yoga. And uh, that was the only comedy that sort of felt okay to me. Was was the girls? Yeah. Well, that with Justin Long riffing yeah. off of them. Um, you know, the, the the comb mustaches was kind of stupid, but. <clears throat> um, yeah, I, I I enjoyed it. Uh, I wish there had been some different roads traveled here. <laughs> I wish he had d- decided that he wanted to make a horror instead of a comedy horror uh, because because I don't I don't see how he didn't mesh the two well at all. It's an no. oil and water that situation. That was so stark. It's either a horror or it's a comedy, right. depending on which scene you're wa- watching here. So it. With that said, it, it devalues the opposite effect. Mm-hmm. Take, you know, the comedy takes you out of the horror elements. The horror elements... And the thing is, the horror make was you just being, wonder, why the fuck are you doing comedy right. in this? The, the horror was being done so well, it frustrated you when it landed yeah. up a comedy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I definitely want to see it again. Yeah. I didn't hate it. No, but I'm still floundering around a two and a half here. Yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll give it a three, um, which could devalue to two and a half on the second uh, second viewing. But I'll give it a three on Kevin Smith doing something a little well, different and really around Michael Parks. For anybody who is all they do is complain that Hollywood doesn't do anything original and they just rehash and. And, and remake and reboot and, and do all this stuff. Here's something that's totally off the wall different. Um, you know, you, you've got to give the guy some credit for that. Dude, tell me the scene where they, they, they start the shot with the uh, following the chain from the pool of water. The first time you see the walrus, that was some fucked up shit. Yeah, it was. That, that was... I, I, as well, how about that. when they're doing the walrus fight? Dude. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, he says that, that he's in, he, he, Michael Parks, Howard Howe, admits yes. that you're not the first. Every other Mr. Tusk has basically allowed themselves to be beaten. Yeah. And, and he knows that he ate Mr. Tusk. 
And he's never been able to live it down. So he needs a Mr. Tusk to beat him walrus style. Yeah. And the, the fact of going mono and mono in was... walrus costume I don't know was if... some fucked up shit. <laughs> it was. You're sitting there watching it and you're not sure if this is funny or just horribly oh. disturbing. But if they, the thing is, though, if he followed that type of comedy, right, that would have been fine. Sure. Instead, the real stark contrast comedy with the Gila Point character, that yeah. didn't work. Yeah, no. The Gila Point didn't work for me at all. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm at two and a half, but definitely want to see it again. I would definitely recommend it. Yeah. Um, this yeah. is far from the worst Kevin Smith film. I, 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 this is not the worst Kevin Smith film out there. No, but it, it's... Not it's frustrating. It's not the times. Kevin Smith you know. No. That's just that's just it. You can't. The only thing you can really compare this to is Red State mm-hmm. from a Kevin Smith perspective. You can't compare this to any of his Jersey stuff. No, 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 no. no. Oh, and, and there's the other thing too. It, it's it's uh, you know along with the Gila Point where he falls back into a comedic mode that just felt so out of place is when Justin Long was at the airport talking to that, oh, the, that the Galifianakis dude. looking yeah. dude. Which at first I thought was that Galifianakis. I did too at honest. first. I don't know who it was. No. But another one there where it just sort of devolves into out of place humor. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, let's let's see how many... How many Canada cliches can we make jokes? Well, about? and, and uh, during that scene, I literally found myself thinking, you know, Kevin, if you really love Canada this much, then fucking move there. There's nothing keeping you from doing so. Right. We get it. You love it. It's the homeland of, of of hockey, and oh yeah, pot is way more legal there. <laughs> if, if that's your thing, then rock on, buddy. Right. And I noticed that even in the, the whole. Was it that that, that guy? The, the, the losing the name of the agents that they have at the airport. When you're going through uh, customs, customs agent, uh, made the comment about you look at the flag; it's red and white. There is no blue because we're never blue. And I noticed that was even called back in the convenience store. They were selling red, white, but never blue T-shirts. Right. And I'm like, okay, we get it. You love Canada. Get over it. Three out of five. Yeah, two and a half out of five. Fair enough. Worth a look. All right. Um, That's our review of Tusk. Um, I think we're hoping to get together in a couple weeks and do a little David Fincher discussion. That's my plan. Okay, a little Gone Girl with his most recent flick, and we'll we'll talk a little bit about Fincher's filmography, which is Mm -hmm. good. You get some... Revisit a little girl with a dragon tattoo, a little social network. I actually think I need to fire that one up again. I loved it. I've only seen it the one time, though. I was a fan of social network. Yeah, that that movie surprised me. It was really good. Um, So, yeah, we'll talk some Fincher. And uh, we'll also, uh, well, we're not going to do the horror. We'll do the horror cast after that. The following one. We'll get get back into the every other week rhythm here if we can. Because, gosh, we've got to get Ouija under our belts. (laughs) Yeah, I will say in the commercials. I'm actually intrigued by Annabelle. Yeah. This will probably suck. Probably it won't suck as bad as Ouija. No, Ouija's gonna blow. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, that's it for this time. We'll see you later. Late. I still got another beer. <laughs>